0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, June 11, 2023, on the basis of Matthew 7, verses 15 through 29. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. 329.69 and 312. Those were the speeds, download and upload, in megabytes per second of our home internet connection when I tested it this past week. Which was good, not only because that's about exactly the speed that we are paying the Mount Horeb telephone company to provide us with, but also because my family and I very much depend on the strength and the speed of that internet connection. In fact, I probably don't need to tell you about the catastrophic consequences that ensue when a home internet connection is slow or even cuts out. Can you even imagine? The emails that can't be sent? The videos that can't be streamed? The games that can't be played? The YouTube rabbit holes that can't be gone down? The snaps that can't be snapped and the TikToks that can't be TikToked. I mean, what is a person supposed to do? Of course, that connection that connects us to people and information all over the world is very important to us in our everyday lives. But of course, it's not nearly as important as the connection we have to God. And that is the connection that's really the focus of our current worship series, Lifestream. God establishes channels through which he keeps us connected to him. And last week you heard Jesus say that one of those connections is his Word. In fact, God's Word connects us to God, not even just as if we're here sort of on one side of the universe and God is way far away on the other side of the universe, but there's this wire, either visible or invisible, that that kind of connects us. No, you heard Jesus say last week that through his word, he remains here, with and among us. And so if that's the case, if God's word is our connection with God, then maybe it's no surprise that at times we sort of approach it the way we approach our home internet connection. And from time to time, we like to put it to the test. We want to make sure it's strong, we want to make sure it's reliable. We want to make sure that it's going to work for us when we're going through something difficult in our lives. We want to make sure it's going to stand up when some new idea comes along that seems to sort of threaten or even challenge it. And so we sort of look at it almost from the outside in. We, we examine it. We test it to make sure that it's strong. And I suppose that's not the worst thing in the world for us as Christians to do, and rest assured, God's Word is certainly strong enough to stand up to any of our tests. But that's not the only thing God's Word is good for. In fact, it's not even the thing that God's Word is best at. God's Word is a connection that is so strong that not only will it stand up and pass, any test we might administer to it, it is actually so strong that we can use it to test everything else in our lives. And that's where Jesus wants to put our focus today. The Word of God that we are looking at comes at the very end of Jesus' longest and arguably most famous set of words that he ever spoke, his so-called Sermon on the Mount. 2,500 words and three whole chapters as it's recorded for us in our English translation. And at the end of all of those words, here, Jesus has some words about his words. And as we look at those words today, we're going to see that God's word, this connection that we have with God, is so strong that rather than putting our connection to God to the test, we can actually use that connection to test everything else. That's really the common thread that ties together these three paragraphs, these three final sections of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In every paragraph, there is a test that reveals the difference between the true, genuine, reliable version of something and the false, counterfeit, unreliable version of it. And in the first paragraph, the very first thing that Jesus wants us to test is the words that we hear. Here's what Jesus says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So Jesus says, Be on the lookout for people who would speak to you words about God, words about life and eternity, words about right and wrong and good and evil that are false. Outwardly, outwardly, they might look very good, they might appear to be true, but Jesus says, inwardly, beneath the surface, they are ferocious wolves, and so their words do more harm than good. Now, when Jesus mentions false prophets, he is first and foremost talking about people who use their words to speak about God in sort of an official and maybe even professional capacity. So, pastors of churches, for example. Teachers at theological institutions, for example. And yet, of course, today, in fact, maybe now more than ever, words about God come to us in much less formal ways as well. They come to us in the music that we play, in the books that we read, in the podcasts that we listen to, in the television that we watch, in those previously mentioned YouTube rabbit holes that we sometimes go down. And so, how do you tell the difference? What's the test that you can apply to tell which words about God are true and which words about God are false? Well, notice that Jesus does not say that everyone sort of is on their own for determining for themselves their own version of the truth. Notice how Jesus doesn't say either, that we're supposed to just sort of passively sit back and trust whatever consensus some class of supposed experts might come up with. No, instead, Jesus says, here's the test. By their fruit, you will recognize them. In other words, you don't have to worry about seeing beneath the surface. You don't need to worry about looking into anyone's heart. Instead, you can simply look at the words and look at the actions that come out of those hearts. And you can compare those words and actions To the words of Jesus. Just because a message about God sounds good to us or is popular in the world that we live in doesn't mean that it's true. Just because a message about God sounds bad to us or is unpopular in the world that we live in doesn't mean that it's false. Jesus says, use his words to test all of the other words that we hear. In the next section, the next paragraph, Jesus wants us to put to the test the faith that we claim. Now, I would imagine that for most, if not all, of the people in the room today, the faith that we claim for ourselves is the Christian faith. And of course, that's a good and wonderful thing. But so did some of the people that Jesus mentions in these verses. And here's what he said about them. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. So these people knew all the right vocabulary. They were very sincere in their faith. They said all kinds of Christian-sounding prayers. They did all kinds of Christian-looking things. And yet Jesus says that when he comes back, he will not recognize them. In fact, when he comes back, he will send them away from him for eternity. These words of Jesus are are pretty startling and perhaps even scary for anyone who would claim that same Christian faith. How do we make sure that what Jesus says here doesn't happen to us? How do we tell the difference between a faith that is simply claimed to be true but is at the very same time false? Well, notice how Jesus doesn't say that as long as you know a few Christian-sounding words, you'll be just fine. He doesn't say that your faith is genuine so long as you show up at church a certain number of times a year or so long as you have at least one cross that is hanging somewhere in your house right now. No, instead, Jesus says this. Here's the test that he applies. When he returns, he will recognize as his followers those who do the will of his Father in heaven. And by contrast, he describes those that he will not recognize as evildoers, literally lawless ones. In other words, even though they were claiming the Christian faith, they were pursuing with their lives their own will instead of submitting to the will of their Father in heaven. And so just because someone claims to have the Christian faith doesn't mean that Jesus will recognize them at his return. Just because someone calls themselves a Christian and maybe even sincerely considers themselves a Christian does not mean that they are doing the very faith-destroying thing that Jesus says here. That with their lives, they are pursuing their own will and their own desires instead of submitting to God's will. And so Jesus says, use his words to put to the test the faith that we claim. Lastly, Jesus takes our eyes off of the last day and he puts them on today. And Jesus says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand." In other words, according to Jesus, everyone in this world is trying to build a house, trying to build a life for themselves, we might say. Really, the only question is what kind of house, what kind of life are they trying to build? Not all houses are created equal. According to Jesus, some houses are built on a foundation that is sturdy, while others are built on a foundation that is shaky. So what's the difference? What's the test? Well, in this case, it's actually not a test that is administered by Jesus' words. Instead, it's a test that is administered by life's storms. Picture a house that is located right near the bank of a river. When heavy seasonal rain falls and the water in that river rises, it will inevitably put a lot of pressure on whatever that house is standing on. And so it will reveal whether what that house is standing on is rock solid or shifty and shaky like sand. In other words, you cannot evaluate the life you are building when it's 75 degrees outside and there's not a cloud in the sky. You cannot correctly see the true character of the life that you are building when everything is going well. It's when that dream job and that nice salary are taken from you. It's when that romance or that friendship comes to an end. It's when your life is filled with grief and your, te- your eyes are filled with tears. It's when dreams are met with disappointment and even the hardest work in the world still results in failure. That's when you are going to find out when what you have been building your life on is cut from the rock-solid quarry of God's Word or whether it's been scooped out of the playground sandbox. Jesus says it's his words that make the difference between a house that will always stand and a house that will surely fall. Now, much more could be said about using Jesus' words to test. First of all, the words that we hear, the faith that we claim, and the life that we are building, but that's enough for today. In part because, really, this is exactly the thing that we are going to be doing for the next consecutive 24 weeks here in church. Believe it or not, from now all the way until December, this entire second half of the church year calendar is designed to do just that. In the first half of the year, we focus our attention on what Jesus did. His birth, his life, his suffering and death, his resurrection from the dead, And then in the second half of the year, we focus our attention more on what Jesus said. His words that are the connection that we have with him and the words that we can use to test everything else in our lives. But for now, I do want you to notice the reaction that the people had to these words of Jesus about his words. When Jesus finally wrapped up his Sermon on the Mount, here's what Matthew tells us. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So the people got loud and clear the message that Jesus was sending. If his words were to be used as the test for everything else in their lives, then Jesus was claiming total authority over their lives. With his words, Jesus was saying, I'm in charge. What I say goes. What I teach is truth. Which raises a very important question for you and me. It's one thing for Jesus to claim and to expect and even demand this kind of authority for himself and his words, but why in the world should we be willing to entrust Jesus with that authority? People in Jesus' day were amazed at his claim of such authority, and it seems that they were amazed in a good way. Evidently, they were relieved that finally one of their teachers was claiming such unequivocal authority for him and his teaching. I wonder if, in our day, Jesus' claim would be met with just as much amazement, but not the positive kind of amazement. The idea that someone else is in charge of me, what I think, what I believe, what I say, and what I do. Are you kidding me? I mean, I thought the goal of life was simply to follow my heart and be true to myself. And it seems Jesus leaves absolutely no room for that. So why in the world should we be willing to entrust Jesus with such total authority over our lives? Well, here's where maybe we, who are sitting in these pews this morning, have a little bit of an advantage over Jesus' original hearers who were sitting on that mountainside that day. You see, for them, this claim of authority, as amazing and perhaps impressive and welcome as it was, was still sort of marked by those three letters TBD, to be determined. It's one thing for Jesus to claim that authority, but the validity of that claim, they would sort of still need to wait and see to find out what it was based on. But for us, all the waiting and all the seeing is over. In fact, that's what we do each and every year. That's what we just finished doing with that first half of the church year as we once again remember Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. With those things, Jesus has already proven that when he claims total authority over our lives, it is not in his own interest or for his own interest. It is not just so that he can control us or so that he can take all of the fun out of our lives. He has proven beyond all shadow of a doubt that it is actually for you. And how do we know that? Because everything Jesus did was for you. That birth, that life, that death, that resurrection was all for you. In spite of the fact that all of us, all the time, fail all of God's tests and fail to live up to every single one of his standards, he did all those things for you so that you would belong to him and be his forever. So that this connection that you have with him, which now is sort of like our home wireless internet, it's sort of this invisible thing that we can only see with the eyes of faith so that connection would one day be able to be seen by us with the eyes of flesh. You see, when Jesus claims complete and total authority over your life, there's really just one test that you need to administer, and that's a test of him. How do you know that you can entrust that kind of authority to him? And thankfully, that question has already been answered. That's a test Jesus has already passed. Amen.